Hello, and welcome to What Goes Bump in the Night. Hello, and welcome to What Goes Bump in the Night. My name is Riley Clark, and alongside me, as always, is... Trevor Jensen. We are back with episode 94. Wowza. 94 episodes. It is absolutely crazy that we have made it this far. We're almost to 100, and today we're going to change it up on the podcast. You know, throw the old slider. (laughs) Or a change-up. Probably the best one is the change-up. A little change-up coming your way. You guys have actually requested it a while ago. Some listeners have reached out to us on We this. have done one other one of these before. And I wasn't here. <laughs> and it was me and Jenna. <laughs> we have talked about serial killers before, but this guy is on a whole Does he take the cake? Label. He I would say he takes the cake. Definitely takes the cake. The cake. <laughs> a very, very evil man. And he goes, well, not really goes by, he goes by Robert, I'm sure. Yeah, but Bob. he is known as the Butcher Baker. Robert Hansen. Not to be confused with the, the other Hansen that sits down and, <laughs> and does the, uh, so, I heard you're a pedophile. <laughs> Here's yeah. a cookie. Tell me all about your stories. He is basically a modern day Jack the Ripper in a sense. Yeah, I would think so. Like, the... His targets are prostitutes, just like Jack the Ripper. He's got a high body count. Very high body count. Only convicted of a small number. Very true. Obviously, Jack the Ripper was never convicted. I would also have to go on a limb here and say, though, poor police work. <laughs> very, very poor police work, which I'm sure had a hand to do with, with Jack the Ripper as well. But Jack the Ripper is infamously much more intelligent than this man. <laughs> much more. Yes. So why don't we just go ahead and dive right into who Robert Hansen was and his early life. Interesting character. You're going to find out. Yeah, he's very interesting. That's all I got to say. Like everything I've heard about this guy, read about this guy, listened about this guy is fucking insanity. And the fact that he didn't get caught for so long is even more crazy to me. But Robert Christian Hansen, February 15th, 1939 to August 24th, 2014, known in the media as the Butcher Baker was an American serial killer between 1971 and 1983. Hansen abducted, raped, and murdered at least 17 women in and around Anchorage, Alaska. He haunted many of them, or hunted many of them down in the wilderness with a Ruger Mini-14 and a knife. He was arrested and convicted in 1983 and was sentenced to 461 years without the possibility of parole. He died in 2014 of natural causes due to the lingering health conditions at his age of 75. So, there's a little bit more to him. There's a lot more, but the the main thing that I want to focus on here is he hunted women down in the wilderness. Yes, it has a, a lot to do with who he is as a person. I think even he was an outdoorsman. He loved hunting. Very skilled huntsman. Very, very skilled. skilled. Very skilled. Like. We're talking some of the largest animals ever recorded in history good at hunting. He had a couple number one records. I forgot which one it was. It was you a mountain doll sheep. Yep. He had the largest mountain doll sheep killed with a bow. World record, I'm pretty sure. He was unbelievably skilled with a bow. And even more so with a bow than he was a rifle. Yeah. Even though his his like modus operandi was to use the mini Ruger on his victims which I think it's more of an intimidation factor because if you see a bow, I don't get nearly as intimidated as I do with a gun. Right, because of the range thing. Oh, if, if he's going to hunt me with a bow, I just can't get, you know, let him close to me. Mm-hmm. Easier to get away. Bow hunting is very difficult, especially with oh, yeah. if you were hunting a human. Like, we're smart. I mean, like, think about it like this. He was such an avid, like, huntsman. He was like, what can I do to make things more interesting for myself on this hunt oh why don't i hunt the most top of the food chain apex predator another human being although i wouldn't say that he was 
fucking hunting apex predators that were like beaten raped women yeah <laughs> that's not that's not cool but like he literally hunted women down and killed them so with serial killers their childhood always comes into question and how were they raised what was their upbringing like what drove them to be the way and why they were they are sculpted into this killer right were, were there born like were this? there signs before he started killing someone that hey this man has potential to be a homicidal degenerate crazy person <laughs> i don't really know how it's to explain. a murderer <laughs> a fucking sociopath <laughs> serial killer like just a you know low life I mean, we could go on and on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could go on and on and on with what you can call them. Um, But his childhood, definitely there was major sounds of alarms in his upbringing that said, yeah, this man could be a potential problem in society. And it started with him being a very shy individual. The loner type. He was a loner type, didn't really have many friends. Uh, was made fun of a lot and bullied, which I mean already that's terrible too. Yeah, you, you could if you want to go on a limb here and say like a lot of these school shootings, a lot of these crimes that are committed against other people for the persecution of ones, you know, just being who they are. Like, there's a big reason why you think, oh, he's exacting his revenge in a certain way because of the way he was brought up or the way he was treated as a child. And you know, growing up, we're we're adults, or you might be a child now watching us. I don't really think we make our show available <laughs> to children, but who knows what could happen. We all see people getting picked on. We may have even jumped in on it. And it, it's a terrible thing, but I mean, I feel like it's just, it happens. And let's make bully and kill itself. Yeah, which is <laughs> try to stop and bully people. I know. Sometimes it can be hard to even tell that you're doing that to someone, but try to watch people's emotions and how they're reacting to be you. Be an empath, you know, yes. feel the room. Show compassion for others. Be a decent human being, goddammit. Yes, and now back to serial killer talk. With all of this bullying and things like that, he was an individual that was led to trying to blow his school up. But instead, he decided he was going to burn down his bus garage. And also, he wanted to blow up the town's water supply after they did this because he's like, I'm exacting my revenge. I believe this was in Pocahontas, Ohio, Iowa. Yes, Iowa. Yeah. And very close to where he grew up in Esterville, Iowa, because he was born in Iowa originally. And then him and his family later on moved to Anchorage, Alaska, where these heinous crimes were committed. Yes, and he, he also worked in the Army Reserve as well. So there, that's probably how he became so good with the gun, is yeah. working in, being in the Army Reserves. Because you're going to get gun, good with a gun, most definitely. Good, shooting good gun one training. And tr- being trained by the Army. So burning down the education school bus garage was the start of his crime his outlashes to society. Um, He would spend 20 months of his three-year prison sentence in Amorosa State Penitentiary. Oh, also, before we get too far, he also worked as a police, like, in the police academy as a drill instructor. So he had ties to the police and everything else on top of his army. So, yeah, he had police training as well. So he probably knew, you know, how to cover up a crime scene. I think you're still a bumbling idiot, but he probably was. But like, you know, who I mean, knows like, what you, kind of information you, people retain? Yeah. Well, once you get in tight with police, too, like you probably are a lot more comfortable being around them than the average person. That's like, oh, I'm gonna get in trouble every time I come across a cop. Like, no matter what, like I could be doing nothing, and I could still get persecuted by a cop because you know they're they're the law. What are you yeah. gonna do? Yeah. And while he was in prison, uh, he was diagnosed as a paranoid. Sp- 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 oh my gosh, I can't say that word. Schizophrenic. <laughs> I can't say it either. I don't know why. A schizophrenic. Yes, thank you. Jesus. <laughs> Brain fart. Because <laughs> that's what it means. Uh, they would also diagnose him with an 
infantile personality. So Trevor, you're spot on about him most definitely being dumb. Yeah, he, like as I'm a grown sure adult, his, I'm sure his IQ was. Uh, over the next few years, he would spend uh, time in jail for petty thefts and minor things. He then decided to the up and coming city known as Alaska. The last frontier. The last frontier in Anchorage. Now, Anchorage's history in this time was the oil business was booming. Tons of people are moving to Alaska to work on the oil fields, make ton of money, and live in a, basically a town that was built for people to be up late at night and go to work the next day. There wasn't much law. There was tons of bars. There was tons of drugs. Titty bars were a big thing. Prostitution and strippers and stuff like that. Like sex work in there in in itself, you could find all over Anchorage and all over the Alaskan frontier. And it's probably it was... most definitely still happening today, which is terrible. Oh, it's a hundred percent still is. It, it's just funny though because it's like you you don't go to Alaska and think oh. I'm gonna like, go to all the strip clubs. Yeah, but that's the thing is like in the '80s, you were. There's so little police force there because everybody that lives in Anchorage or in Alaska towns, they want to police their own because, I mean, that they're in such a a, a tight knit community is probably the best way to explain this one. That you don't want to give away like, oh, well, he was doing a crime instead of like, you know, like how you go to a city and somebody breaks into a car and they steal something. Well, probably half of the town knows who the person that did it was here in Alaska, and they're like, "We'll we'll handle it on our own. We won't call the cops because that's just that's just how that was handled." And when he moved to Alaska in 1963, he married a woman, uh, which would be his second wife, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and he was well liked by his neighbors and set several hunting records that's when his hunting expertise began to really show in his life is when he moved to alaska because uh, obviously alaska being the last frontier there's not many people and the wildlife is just abundance because there's so much land if you don't know if you're from another country and you're not familiar with alaska or how we've talked about it in the past Alaska is literally mind blowing. It's such a large area. It doesn't even it's like, a postcard makes sense in your mind how much land and space there is. You like could go it's crazy. It's like looking miles into between towns. the space on Earth. Like it's just miles of trees and forest and water and mountains and incredible beauty. But it didn't take long for him. It looks about. I don't know, five years for him to start getting in trouble again. And this whole time, by the way, they call him the butcher baker because he was a very skilled baker and he would eventually own his own bakery in Anchorage, Alaska. Yes. And that's what he was known for in the town. His dad pushed him into it, even though he didn't want to be a baker. But turns out he had a knack for it. In uh, 1971, five years after he moved to Alaska, he was arrested twice for abducting and attempting to rape an unidentified housewife and then for raping an unidentified sex worker. He pleaded no contest to the assault with a deadly weapon in the offense involving the housewife. The rape charge involving the sex worker was dropped as part of a plea bargain. He was sentenced to five years in prison and again only served a fraction of that sentence at six months. He was a likable fellow. Like he, that's the that's he definitely the crazy knew how to work the system. I don't know if this dude was just getting the best lawyers in Alaska or what was going on. But he's definitely knew how to work the police system and the law. I'm also on the train where if either that you, or they just figured he was so dumb. There's no way he could have done it. Or they just don't like sex workers. Like they look and down that on too. them. That was definitely a huge part of it. A lot of it's up, his word against theirs. So at this time when he was up there, I believe I forget her name. But she will probably come across it later in these notes. But she was the only police officer in the police force in Anchorage. And she pushed majorly hard on, like, the respect for, you know, following prostitutes. Because a lot of prostitutes at this time were going missing, obviously being raped and, like, all this terrible stuff. Not just prostitutes, but the women who worked in strip clubs or had any business, like, in a bar. 
Which, I mean, granted, you don't think, like, I'm going to go work in a strip club in Anchorage. And then I think I'm... I'm, I'm Women were recruited. Well, not only that, I, I think it's more of, like, a turnover right here where, like, you work six months here and then you're like, all right, I made enough money to get out of this town and go to somewhere more prosperous. So, like, people were coming and going a lot. And more people go missing in Alaska than anywhere else. Like, I think even to this day, it's like 2,000 people a year go missing in Alaska. Yeah, which is astonishing 2000 people from all over the world they could be from anywhere it also makes the most sense though because it is the most i want to say barren landscape that we have around here outside of like the desert areas yeah i mean towns are miles in between each other it takes days to go somewhere you can't even get in alaska when i would go places we would literally be like okay where are we going tomorrow because that's where we're going to be all day Mm -hmm. very much so so after he pleaded guilty, he ended up going back out into Alaska and was on his, how do I want to say this? His next escapade where he was breaking into these very isolated cabins and stealing things out of them. And at one time he said, it gets my dick hard stealing things and getting away with it. Like like 100% he was like, this shit makes me wet. <laughs> so if that doesn't sound like a bumbling idiot to you, I don't know what does. And if you're joining you us just now too. on this podcast, whether it's on the live stream or just watching us and you're enjoying yourself, make sure you go give us a like. I believe it's in that corner. Hit, Hit that bell. bell and show us some love because it really helps us in the algorithm of YouTube and just getting our content out to people so people can learn about guys like the Butcher Baker, Robert Hansen. So after he got caught stealing stuff, like he, he stole a chainsaw from a store and got caught, he served once again what was supposed to be another five-year sentence, was released with, like, how do I want to say this? He was released and required to take psychiatric treatment for his bipolar disorder. So they're pretty much just like, it's in your head, you're crazy, like, you already did some time, let's just see if we can rehabilitate you this way. Didn't work. So... They had this man dead the rights to get him stuck in prison for a very long time. And it just didn't. so happens he gets away, right? And the next year is the year, 1972, when he is believed to have started killing women. And by killing, I mean abducting them and beginning the process Beating, raping, and murdering. of hunting these people with his rifle. Okay. So I'm just going to read verbatim some of these information because this is where it gets really wild. Hansen is believed to have begun killing around 1972. His modus operandi was to pick up sex worker in his car and force her at gunpoint to his home, where he would rape her, and then he would fly her out to a secluded area and hunt as if she were wild game before shooting and stabbing them. On June 13, 1983, Hansen offered a 17-year-old Sidney Paulson $200 to perform oral sex. When she got into the car, he pulled out a gun and drove her to his home in Molden. There, were, there, he held her captive and proceeded to rape her and torture her. She later told police that after Hansen chained her by the neck to a post in his basement, he took a nap on a nearby couch. When he awoke, he put her in his car and he took her to Merrillfield Airport, where he told her that he intended to take her out to his cabin, a shack in the Nick River area of the Manitouska Susna Valley, accessible only by boat or bush plane. So this is what we're talking about, where it is like, you can't get to some of these places without literally a plane. And just to remind you, if you don't know or have never been to Alaska or don't know how people live up there, most people have a plane. A lot of people have a plane. I'm pretty like, sure, like, not too many people really have a car. Yeah. Like, yes, they have cars up there and people drive. A but lot like... of people get place to place. There's literally lakes all over Alaska that are used to land planes. So just throwing that out there. And, I mean, I make, makes me think, like, I, I feel like he used his plane as, like, a, a grab tool sometimes with 
girls too. Like this is just this one instance where he was like, well, "Hey, hired her." He or was offering these girls lots of money to come take like lewd photos, or like how he was going to offer this girl two hundred dollars to perform oral sex on him. This is a much higher rate at this time than what was the going rate for this kind of thing. So he was like, "I have money. Like, if you come over and do this for me or take these photos with me, I will pay you really good." Which. I mean, you live in Anchorage, Alaska. There's not much around. So what are you going to do? Well, that's that's good money. Like, I'm going to take that money. Right. So Paulson crouched in the back seat of the car with her wrist cuffed in front of her body, saw a chance to escape when Hanson was busy loading the cockpit of his airplane, a Piper PA-18 Super Cub. While Hanson's back was turned, Paulson crawled out of the back seat, opened the driver's door, and ran toward the nearby 6th Avenue. You can continue if you want. Paulson later told police that she had left her blue sneakers on the passenger side floor of the sedan's back seat as evidence that she had been in the car. Hansen panicked and chased her, but Paulson made it to 6th Avenue first and managed to flag down a passing truck. The driver, Robert Yaunt, alarmed Paulson, Paulson's disheveled. Dis- disheveled appearance, stopped and picked her up. He drove her to the mush inn where she jumped out of the truck and ran inside when she pleaded with the clerk to phone her boyfriend at the big timber motel yonk continued on to work he then called police and reported the barefoot handcuff naked woman so there is a little bit of this isn't completely correct because she actually called her pimp this is actually true and her pimp wanted to go kill him and went and got his gun and went to Merrill Airfield, but he was already long gone because he had he had seen somebody was watching them as she ran away, and he was chasing after her, but at that point, he realized that he was being watched. It looked very suspicious, so he began walking back to his car, got in his car, and then left, went back to his house, took the hook where he had her chained up at down so he could fool the police when they came looking for the stuff. And then she ended up getting to where she was going to go, and then all that transpired. Yeah. So, the handy-dandy Anchorage police at this time. (laughs) The incompetent handy-dandy. Obviously follow up on the call and head to the Mush Inn. And when they arrived, Paulson had taken a cab to the Big Timber Motel. So she said, I'm out of here. Well, more likely, the pimp said, I'm coming to get you, I'm and you're telling me everything, and I'm going to kill this motherfucker. He did. Dead to rights. Yeah, he dead. He didn't even give you $200. <laughs> okay, sorry. I don't know if that Make was Make my right. motherfucking money, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> you get that paycheck? <laughs> I just feel like that's the work that a pimp would do. Be like, you didn't even get $200. I see the South Park episode where they're in, like, big furs and big rings and shit. He's like, bitch, you want to make some real motherfucking money? <laughs> Again, we're joking about the pimp, not what's happening here. <laughs> Very true. Okay. Paulson was still handcuffed at the motel uh, when they arrived. Uh, she was then taken to the APD headquarters and was described the predator to the police. When questioned by ADP officers, denied the accusations, stating that Paulson was trying to just cause trouble for him because he would not pay her extortion demands. See, I told you he didn't pay her. Of course the pimp's mad. Although Hanson had several prior run-ins with the law, his meek demeanor and humble appearance as a baker, along with the alibi from his friend John Herring, kept him from being considered a serious suspect. So... We're going to head to a baker shop, talk to this guy who has been accused of raping women before and beating them, and just go, eh, he's a baker. Nah. He makes our donuts, so we can't really... But really what they're the thinking is, okay, we followed up on this uh, prostitute enough. You can't really uh, believe what prostitutes say because they're lesser people than us. <laughs> right, because that's definitely how the police were thinking at this time. They're fucking there. terrible people. That's all I got to say. Like, if you're if you're in a, in a position of power to protect people, you protect everyone. It doesn't matter what they do or who they are. They're still a person. Uh, detective... Glenn Floth of the Alaskan State Troopers had been part of the team investigating the discovery of several bodies in and around Acreage, Seward, and Manitouska, Susna Valley. The first of the bodies was found by construction workers near Yucatan Road 
The body dubbed Ikita Annie by investigators had never been identified. Later that year, the body of Joanna Mesna was discovered in a gravel pit near Seward. Seward. Sorry for people who live in Alaska. I said it wrong twice. And in 1982, the remains of a 23-year-old Sherry Morrow were discovered in a shallow grave near the Nick River. Floof believed all three women had been murdered by the same predator. Again, this is the woman that I was speaking of earlier. Yeah, Floof. I think I think that um, sh- that's her. I I don't know the exact names of the officers that worked in this case because there was a lot. And then there's also uh, another guy that works in um oh what the place what's that place in California that does the behavioral sciences and shit that we'll we'll probably get to it later in this. Uh, I think it's, his name is John Douglas, but he works for like the behavioral scientists in some California town. And he's the one that says that he figured all this out, but it's hard to say who's who and like who these officers are. I would say are. that the, the first officer who was on, on the case is who figured it out. FBI just steps in and finishes the case. Basically. The FBI does do a spot on job. They do a very the good job. And we can talk about that. So the FBI and his name is uh, agent John Douglas. I was requested to do a officer profile based on the three bodies that were recovered. Uh, Douglas thought the killer would be an experienced hunter with low self-esteem, with a history of being rejected by women, hmm. and would feel compelled to keep souvenirs of Which his murderers, such as a victim's jewelry. He also suggests that the assailant might stutter using his profile floof, investigated possible suspects until he reached Hanson. I'm pretty sure this fluth is a female, though, because I I watched many podcasts on this, and they said that the lead investigator on this case, if this isn't her name, but she is the one that solved everything. But Douglas hit it spot on because Hanson had a speech impediment because when he was younger, his father didn't want him to use his left hand to be dominant so they made him use his right hand which caused a lot of like i don't want to say like disabilities like learning inhibitors and things like that to where he developed a stutter so it's like this this like profile of him or the killer was almost to a fucking t uh with this forensic profile on uh hansen Supported by Paulson's testimony and Douglas's profile, Fluth and the APD secured a warrant to search Hanson's plane, vehicles, and home on October 27, 1983. Investigators uncovered jewelry belonging to some of the missing women as well as an array of firearms in a corner hidden hideaway of Hanson's attic. Also found was an aerocratic chart with 37 little X marks on it hidden behind Hansen's headboard. Many of these marks match sites where prior bodies had been found. Others were discovered later at the locations marked on Hansen's murder map. So what's crazy about that, too, is the police had searched his entire house. It was spotless. You couldn't find a trace of evidence. And then finally, the last place they looked was in the attic in that... um, in the insulation and they dug all the way through it until they hit the back corner which they found a little almost like a treasure chest that had his uh, mini 20 or mini whatever it is Ruger and then had the jewelry all this stuff that like was the actual souvenirs of the killings that he had that he had taken from these because he wasn't the type to dismember bodies and be like I'm mounting this trophy head on my wall he would take jewelry like they said and hide it away and then the murder map is even more crazy because he was a very meticulous, like organized organized killer in this retrospect, where he would literally mark exactly where he would bury these bodies on this map. So you can tell that he's a good hunter because he knows the land. And he that definitely well. was using his like knowledge of the air and flying an airplane. Yeah, to you use... have to be somewhat proficient in like using maps if you're like flying yeah, he, he definitely was a good map user for sure and especially being a big game hunter too i mean a lot of times when you're big game hunting you're out in the middle of nowhere on top of a mountain miles and miles away from someone and you got to know exactly where you are otherwise you're not, you're gonna get lost 
So he which, would deny all this too. He'd be yes, like, no, he would no, deny no, no. all of it until his accomplices. Well, I wouldn't say accomplices. Until his neighbor, who he had said, "This is my alibi. I'm making this plane seat with these people late at night, or whenever these like atrocities occurred." Until finally, when his neighbor found out that he was being looked at for murder, he flipped like a book, just flipped the page. Like, nope, I'm, I'm washing my hands of this. If I had to go in front of a grand jury, nope. He 100% was not with me this night. So there you go. And guess what he does? He sings like a fucking canary. Tells police everything that he knows. Which I don't know exactly what he knew. He, from what I recall of all the research that I did, once he flipped, they were like, listen, you take us to these bodies and you show us where they're buried and we'll work with you a little bit. So they took him out into the bush with a high power rifle. O- okay, I remember this part. He would only admit to four of them. Yeah, only four out of the 30 marks that he had on there, 37 or something like that. So they take him out into the bush with a high-powered rifle trained on him. They're like, if you run, we're shooting you. And my man's is skilled in the bush. Like, he is flying around this place is like it's nothing and these cops are having a hard time keeping up with him until he comes to a certain area where he just starts digging on the ground with his hands and then they dig one hole and they find a body so he knows where he knows what he's doing another thing we kind of skipped over this and it's very important is with all these bodies that were being found that were found to be his is there was a bullet casing from his rifle and apparently that's the thing with hunters to leave. They, yeah, if it's plastic, I've you never pick it done up. that. Metal, but... they leave them. A lot, of, a lot of hunters that I've heard of outside of Michigan and places like that. If you're using a shotgun and you're using like a plastic shell, usually pick that up because it's just bad for the environment and it's gross. But if you're using metal casings, a lot of hunters will just leave them on the ground because it's just it's not a sign as, of a kill it's, I guess. it's not as gross to leave plastic in the wilderness that's not going to degrade like metal at least like it's easier to find because you can use a um metal detector a metal, yeah metal detector to find that stuff or like if you were to if you're like me where like i like money so you grab the brass off the ground and you bring it back to the scrapyard <laughs> which i mean a lot of people do that too so but this is where we're going to get into a lot of his victims his known victims and like a lot of names of people that have gone missing. So I'm going to start with a few of them and then Riley's going to take over and do a few more of these. So like we said, he only admitted to four of these, but he had 37 marks on his map, which it's hard to say if he really did kill all 37. I believe the speculation is that he killed 23 of the 37 and the other 37 were killed of other causes whether it be because they were beaten too bad starvation or starvation freezing, freezing all like all of those different factors that hugely play a factor when you're in the alaskan wilderness grizzly bears because they did find bodies where they walked up to it and there was a bear eating the body mm-hmm. so i'm just gonna start with victims names ages the date they went missing and then things like that so victim celia van zanten Age 17, December 22nd, 1971 was the date she went missing. She was found December 25th, 1971. Hansen denied killing her, but is suspected because of an X on his aviation map. And, of course, that's only a two-day, three-day difference. She Between those three days is when she died. So his hunting expedition They might not have known she was missing, though, until they right, like, right. looked into their records. And... and I don't know. We don't really have details of like the condition of the body when it was found. So we might on some of these, but, but I mean, given, given in, in mind here, there was an X where they found her body. So he denies killing her, but he has the exact location on his map of her body. It's a little suspect. A little sus. Megan Sibon Emmerich, age 17. So he's going young. July 7th, 1973, she went missing. She was not found on a date that they have published here. It's just not available. Hansen denied killing her, but is suspected because of another X on his aviation map. Mary Kathleen Thill, age 22, date missing July 5th, 1975. Hansen denied killing her as well, but is suspected due to another X on his aviation map. Can take these next ones and I'll take a few more. Elkna Annie, we spoke of her earlier. 
16 to 25. Don't know what day she went missing. Was killed between November 1979 and June of 1980. And was found on July 21st of 1980. She had been stabbed in the back. By the time her body was discovered in a shallow grave off Uknik Lake Road, it had been partially eaten by wild animals. I'm pretty sure this was said to be his first kill because he. I'm pretty sure he stabbed the first victim because it just escalated to that point, and then he started shooting them and hunting them. Joanna Mesa, we spoke of her earlier, age 24, Went missing on May 19, 1980. Was killed on May 19, 1980. And was found late July 1980. Her body was badly decomposed and was found in a gravel pit. Roxanne Eslin, 24, went missing on June 28, 1980. Died on June 28, 1980. Was never found. Hansen confessed to killing her, but her body was never found. Lisa Futrell. It doesn't say if there was an X on her body. I'm sure if he confessed to killing her, that there most likely was an X or some type of notation on the map that was like, this is where she was. Otherwise, why would he confess to that? Like, why would you confess to this killing one, a real person but not the other missing. ones that you have evidence showing on your map that you put them there so lisa futrell 41 is now much older than the original like five or six we've done she went missing september 6th 1980 uh don't know when she was killed and she was found on may 9th 1984 her body was found just south of the old nick bridge in his somewhat i say like prolific like dumping grounds i guess yeah, he, he definitely, it's a really big hunting area in Alaska. A lot of people go hunting on, on the Knick River. Sherry Monroe, 23, went missing on 9, November 17, 1981. Don't know when she died. Was found on September 12, 1982. She was found in a shallow grave on the bank of the Knick River. She had been <laughs> shot in the back, but there were no bullet holes in her clothing. Suggesting that she had been shot while nude and then redressed before being buried. Which would make sense because he's raping these girls before he kills them. There's a lot more people. Just hold on your hats. Andrea Fish uh, Altree. I think I said that right. Uh, she was 22. Uh, missing December 2nd, 1981. Don't know when she was killed. Not sure when she was found. Hansen confessed to killing her, but her body was also never found. Uh, Sue Luna, 23. May 26, 1982, missing. Don't know when she was killed, but she was found April 24th, 1984. She was stripped nude and forced to run through the forest while Hanson hunted her like an animal. She was shot to death. Reuben Pelkey, 19. Robin, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Robin Pelkey, 19. Uh, don't know when she went missing. Died somewhere in January of 1983 and was found on April 1984. Her identity was discovered via forensic genealogy in October of 2021, so very recently, before her identification was nicknamed Horseshoe Harriet. Don't know what that nickname even classifies That's what they to. were, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's the area. That could be it. Uh, Delane Sugar Frey, 20. Don't know when she went missing. Uh, her approximate time of death was April 1983. August 20th, 1985 was when she was found, and her body was found by a pilot testing new tires on the sandbar of the Nick River. So I wonder if when he was landing, if he dug up a, a very shallow grave and then saw body remains. Because you would think that she was probably decomposed by then. Yeah. Paula Golding, 21 or 19, they're not sure. Uh, April 25th, 1983 is when she went missing they don't know when she died in september 2nd of 1983 she was found in a shallow grave on the bank of the nick river she had been shot in the back but there were no bullet holes in her clothing suggesting that she had been shot so again same mo so he's stripping these people down and then hunting them like wild animals that's 
fucking. I'll say, when you find multiple people with the same MO, like of killing, like it's pretty much, it has to be the same person. It's like a, it's like a trademark. Yeah, it's not out of the the norm for people to copy MOs either, but I also don't think that there was very many serial killers that was doing what he was doing in Anchorage, Alaska at this time. I really don't think so. I think a lot of stuff probably was domestic abuse and things like that where like, you know, like in a fit of rage, like you kill your spouse because she cheated on you type thing. Yeah. And then we have a Jane Doe uh, was found nude and then redressed before being buried. No other information on her. Uh, Cindy Paulson, 17, June 13th, 1983, missing, survived, and she was kidnapped, tortured, and raped before she managed to escape. Yep. This was the Cindy Paulson that we said made it to her pimp and then subsequently got him in trouble. Yeah, so. she she is the catalyst to his downfall. 100% is. Uh, Molly Larson, 25, went missing June of 1981. Was killed between June 1981 and 1983, so a three-year span, potentially. Uh, was found April 24th, 1984, and there's no information other than that. Teresa Watson, 22, went missing April 29th, 1983. Believed to have died in 1983 as well, and she wasn't found until April 26th, 1984, but there's no information on what happened to her or her body as well. Andrew Fedram. Federn, 24, went missing February of 1983, died in 1983, and was found April 26, 1984. Her body was found at Figure 8 Lake. Tamara Tammy Pedersen, age 20, missing August, 19th, 80, er, August 1982, was believed to have died between 1982 and 1983. April 29th, 1984, her body was found 1.5 miles from the old Nick Bridge. And out of all of these women that he murdered, like we said, he was only charged with murdering four of them. And that is Sherry Morrow, Johanna Mesa, Eklata Annie, and Paula Golding. He was also charged with the kidnap and rape of Cindy Paulson. So... Thank you, Cindy Paulson, for helping put this monster away. Otherwise, who knows how long he would have done this for. He probably would have done it for years and years. He'd probably still be doing it. Well, he died in, what, 2014? So he probably would have been doing it. Until he wasn't physically able to anymore, is my guess. Yeah, and he probably would have lived longer because he was in prison. so. So... Once he was arrested, he was charged with assault, kidnapping, multiple weapon offenses, theft, insurance fraud, and the last charge was related to a claim filed with an insurgency or insert, insurance agency over the alleged theft of some trophies. He used the proceeds to purchase his plane. So he the plane that he used, he cheated to get to it. So there's another reason why he's getting put away. Uh, at trial, he claimed he later recovered the trophies in his backyard but forgot to inform the insurance. He entered a plea bargain after ballistic tests returned and a match between bullets found at the crime scenes and Hanson's rifle, which was his mini mini 20... 223. Two, two, yeah, I, I forget the numbers, but his mini Ruger. Um... He pleaded guilty to all four homicides. The police have evidence for Morrow, Mesa, Golding, and Yulkultana Annie, and provided details about his other victims in return for serving his sentence in a federal prison, along with no publicity in the press, which is why you probably don't know too much about him. But and now that it's been so many years, people are starting to talk about him. Yeah, he's his story's definitely picked up popularity. Um some movies have been inspired about it. What's the movie? Frozen Ground is one of the big Frozen ones. Ground but that movie sucked. One. I'm not going to lie. That movie kind of sucked. But it was it was loosely based off of what he did. Um, I believe there's an episode on Criminal Minds loosely based off of what he did. There's a couple of different books that have been written that are loosely based off of what he did. The Most Dangerous Game is probably the one most people are familiar with. I think that's a film, right? Mm-hmm. I think I've seen it, but I, I I don't remember. I learned about this murder probably four or five years ago. I was just watching random 
like YouTube documentaries and came across it. The last podcast podcast on the left is what told me about it, where I was just like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's a really crazy story. And the fact that he was able to work a deal where it got no press is just that, insane. Well, another condition of the plea, guard, plea bargain was his participation in deciphering the markings on his aviation map and location of his victims' bodies. He confirmed the police theory of how the women were abducted, adding that they would sometimes let a potential victim go if she convinced him that she would not report him to the police. So that's probably where you were getting the other exes, where he just let these people go into the woods. And I mean, that's why there's no bodies. You'll never there. find him again once they go off in the woods. So he indicated that he began killing in the early 1970s, which that's a long time. 1970s to the early 1800s. Which? The 1800s. 1980s. <laughs> My bad. This is not Frederick Holman. We're not going that far back. He uh, also showed investigators 17 grave sites. 17 of the 37. So if you want to go on a limb here and say, those markings probably were pretty accurate. Yeah. I would think so. And like like we said, he probably doesn't want to take credit for all of them because he probably didn't actually kill all of them. But what he did led to their death. So technically he did kill them. 12 of those 17, the investigators had no knowledge of. This was all news to them. So 12 unknown grave sites where they didn't even suspect him. There could be more than 37. Easily. Easily. Like if 37 was, was just when he started keeping track. What if he was doing it beforehand and he wasn't marking it because he was like, oh, wait, I'm good at this. Yeah, he might it's have thought, possible. oh, I might get caught. Right? He Maybe might've... he wanted to get caught in the end. Maybe like it was like a, a weird satisfaction of being like, look at my. That work. happens a lot with serial killers too. They want to get caught. It's a psychological like, thing. Like he he's he's asserting his control over these women because he had no control over his upbringing and like what happened to him and why he's so angry about all of it. So he's asserting his his aggression out and being like, well, I'm controlling the situation because I'm the man here. But like at the end of the day, too, like you want you want to feel something for what you did. And a lot of the times people want recognition for that. And he will go down in history as one of the most prolific serial killers because of this. Definitely. I, it's like, as someone who hunts, and obviously I've, I've killed things, so I, I know what it's like to like kill something. It isn't, it's like a weird thing you feel. And I'm not sure if what he felt is what I feel when I kill a deer or a turkey or whatever it is I'm hunting. But, like, there is a weird emotion you feel when it happens. So It's a, it's like um, a release of serotonin. Right, exactly. Is yeah. it's like, it is that. kind of like, I guess you could say a drug because, like, chemicals are released in your body from doing it. So, who knows, with the psychological effects that were, like, in his brain and infecting him, basically making him be who he is like with the killing of someone like it makes sense why he would do it the way he was doing it because it was something he knew he was good at yeah he was he very had trophies good at it. to show that he was good at it his house was covered in trophies like you know like had like uh and like you said pieces or whatever. earlier in the episode he had gotten to a point with hunting that he felt like he wasn't even killing the apex predator anymore like he, he had killed the 34th grizz- biggest grizzly in in like record that he had killed. 34 isn't that far off number 1. No. We're talking about a massive animal. Mhm. That can shred you to pieces in like 3 seconds. Like he's just an interesting mind to me. It it would be really interesting to be able to like sit down and then pick these people's brains, which I know he's no longer around, but like it's just interesting to see what drives these people to that or why they think that they had to do this in order to get the satisfaction they get. Cause like me and you, like we like going ghost hunting like that, that really gets my blood going, makes me feel like alive more or less than what I usually do during the day, which I mean, I feel like a normal person all day, but when I'm like, we're going out, we're going to go on an adventure tonight. Like this is going to be epic. Like I'm so jazzed. What makes that person tick to go, I'm going to go rape this girl, let her go in the woods, and then shoot her. 
that is such a taboo thought in my brain where it's like right. I couldn't even imagine hurting somebody just because. Right. I don't even want to get into a fist fight with anyone. No. Like, <laughs> like, like I just don't want to hurt anyone. You know what I that, mean? Yeah. Like, and like that, it's just such a foreign concept for most normal people where it's like, what's what in their brain snapped so hard that they were like, this is okay. And that the fact that they can show no remorse to taking a life. Oh, a hundred percent. Like you look at Ed Kemper, the co-ed killer, it, the way his mom treated him growing up. And then when he got caught and would talk to also John Douglas, which he interviewed Ed Kemper, the interviews are wild. He will to a T tell you what he did to these people how he would like like literally stab them and he and he would explain like you know it's not like the movies where you stab somebody and they fall over dead like you got to stab them a bunch of times and watch them bleed out slowly what like just the fact that you can sit here and not like feel bad about it whatsoever or like he like like this is a wild tangent but Ed Kemper would kill his victims and then bury their heads looking up into his mom's window to spite his mother like that psychology is insane to me where it's like did the trauma really push you to thinking that this was okay right and i think a lot of them it it does they are okay with it they think it's normal for them it is normal it's just another day well um, they wake up and they think about okay you know what like i was at the bar last night and i yeah. seen this really pretty attractive i'm prostitute. gonna follow her home i'm gonna follow her home because that's normal to me and then boom well hansen classified these killings and stuff is it like this his summertime hobby because his wife and children would go yeah it was his back. project he called it a project yeah a project so he his his family would leave because i i think him and his wife were constantly fighting and it wasn't a very great relationship she would go back to like minnesota or something yeah wherever like that. she was from maybe even iowa i don't remember the exact location that she would go back to with the kids but she would leave him for a large amount of time because they had such a toxic relationship that he would just be like this is my hobby this summer <laughs> what like i'm sorry like you don't want to do woodworking you want to go hunt people <sighs> holy shit next level and there and there's a lot a lot of killers that like the way they think is just so much different from us where it's like i me being a normal person you being a normal person i don't know if i can ever wrap my mind around that and if you want to see us do more true crime videos make sure you give us a thumbs up if this video gets 10 thumbs up we we'll put another one we'll up. do another true crime i have a really good one actually about dude that really liked leaves and trees there we go 10 and, likes and we talk about the serial killer who liked leaves and trees and do it up people he had a weird i'm interested i oh, want to yeah. talk about it i recently just learned about this one too and boy oh boy was it fucking wild and, and again the yeah. reason we're doing this live streaming thing we'll we'll try to be a more scheduled time we're still working out the kinks of like when we do this we both work i worked late today usually so. when we do the recordings you know we kind of just come into the studio and just do them and then it isn't really a scheduled time of when we start or anything. So we'll work on that with you. But if this starts taking off and doing well, we will say like every Thursday at 7.30 p.m. We'll be live on the dot, ready to go. Right, exactly. And that's what we're shooting for. Eventually we'll get there. Oh. Today, sorry, I had a <laughs> Today we had to make dinner and stuff. It was, it was wild. It was wild. It was wild. Good time. Good time. <laughs> dinner good time. This, this this has been a lot of fun doing these live streams and we're really really excited to bring episode 100 like keeps getting closer and closer and closer and we got some good stuff freaking planned the, the bumpies brew. baby the rick brew. van Winkle will be here rick in van the Winkle. building in the flesh the first time ever Rick Van Winkle and Billy, I believe, is going to be at the Bumpies as Don't well. Don't forget heard. about Billy. Billy's what makes the cog go around in those So spokes. they will be here live and direct in the studio live and will direct. have Rick absolutely hosting the hell out of the Bumpies. I will be posting uh, the categories very soon. I just have to get approval with him that we're good to go on the, the awards. And, and then 
We'll hopefully have some interaction from you to select some awards, and we even have a special award for you that you will be able to win. Someone in the night crew is going to have a bumpy delivered to their home. Your very own. Put it wherever you want. Put it on your mantle, on your fireplace, in the dinner table. And it's going to look sweet. We're making them ourselves. So, just so you know, yeah, it's going to be a handmade trophy from us. An award. Trophy. Award. You want Trophy these. award. You want It's a bumpy. What, what are we? T- trophy award? It's just a fucking a bumpy. Trophy. The trophy to give all trophies a run for their money. It's better than the Oscars. And, and if you live that. close, maybe we'll even have Rick Van Winkle deliver it to you. You want that. <laughs> But if you live in a different country or something, then that's probably not going to happen. That'll, that'll, that, I mean, too. hey, if I have the money to travel outside of the U.S., I'm going. If we can't deliver it to you in person, how about this? Rick Van Winkle sends you a nice cameo video. That's a good idea, too, and I love that. All right. All right. <laughs> Rick, hope you're up to it. doesn't matter because we signed your contract, so. Well, you know what it means. We got creative control on this, <laughs> I mean, they're always doing what we're doing, so. <laughs> it just happens like that. It just happens. It. Just get. Ah, I wonder what they're up to today. Well, who cares? Yeah. They ain't so, interrupting this one. Please, people, let your people know. Let your let your inner circles, your outer circles, about the like, follow, notification bell. We're going to probably end up be posting a lot more content like this. We're most likely going to try to do mostly live streams of these audio podcast mediums as well so that way it's like you got your podcast if you can't listen to us on youtube because you know you don't have youtube premium bullshit like that you can still listen to it but if you want to see our faces talk about this get animated be along here for the ride be along with the ride with us then yeah yeah and if you freaking hit that bell too you just get bumped just get bumped you'll get a bump when we bump bump. (laughs) thursday night's bump just remember that. Just Thursday night's bump. bump. Hashtag Thursday night's bump. That's a good hashtag. I like that hashtag. It's a, it's a move. You can find us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Audible, Google. If you Google What Goes Bump the Night podcast, we'll pop up. Um, our merch site has some wicked stuff on there right now. Riley just got the Demon Logo t-shirt that I'm pretty sure we showed in the last stream too. It is a sweet t-shirt. Yeah. I'm wearing one of our old merches right now. That's you can't original. even see it because you of can't the background. Even see it. But it's one of our old ones. These shirts are really comfortable. They wash well. Like I've had this for almost almost a year and a half now. No, no dude, problems. Those are original. That's three well, this years. This is three years ago. Yeah, and, the, and no peeling, nothing. Like These are great shirts. So if you want some of that, let us know. Go on the website, check out the Facebook, Twitter. If you haven't looked at our Twitter yet, our Twitter usually posts quite a bit. Yeah. It's pretty fun. It gets going. Hopefully pretty soon. I think the weather is finally good enough for us to start going back out on our adventures, and we're probably going to very soon start posting our investigation videos. Like very soon. So keep an eye out and ear out for that. You're going to want to see these because yeah, usually pretty great. And remember, folks, keep ears and eyes open for what really goes. Bump. Thank Peace. you. Thank you. Thank I you. Love you. We love you. Bye. 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 <laughs>